knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This segment is brought to you by Jigmasters. Step up your game with high-quality performance jigs, spinner baits, buzz baits, and more from jigmasters.com. And always, when in doubt, get the jig out. Welcome to the Feather and Fur segment on the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. Join me, Brad Hurlebus, as we sit around the campfire with this week's special guest to talk hunting, dogs, traditions, and all things outdoors. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Feather and Fur Podcast. I am Brad Hurlbus, your host. And for those YouTube viewers, you will notice I have a new background. And that background is from Grouse Camp of 2020. I figured it was time I updated my own background. And I think moving forward every year, we're going to change that background to the new Grouse Camp because that's kind of what started this whole podcast. So just a little note for the YouTubers, that picture is actually from the back of my camper at Grouse Camp. Gorgeous little view of the lake. It was a hard frost that morning. You can see the ice on the trees. It's just it was just a picturesque morning of 30 degrees waiting on snow for grouse. It was it was just beautiful. But today we've got Jake Onasorgi. He's gonna be our guest, so let's just bring him right on in. Welcome to the show, Jake. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate you being on. Um Jake and I kind of met through like, you know, all the other ways, Instagram, social media, everything else. He's a fellow Wisconsin Knight, and I, I thought you'd be a great fit for the show. I mean, just have that old, that whole outdoorsman mentality. And yeah, thought that, be, I thought it'd be good. So let's just start. What got you started? Like, did you start as a kid? Did you start as an adult? Like, what, where, where does your hunting traditions and passions come from? Yeah, I mean, I got started pretty young as a kid, uh, never too seriously into any one thing, I guess. Mainly, if I had to put, I guess, definition on it, hunting deer and then just fishing kind of whatever bites. Um, sure. Just, 
mainly the fishing I was doing growing up was with my grandpa, and he always kind of fished with a bobber and with a worm. So nothing anything not too crazy, but it was always fun. Always caught something. There's nothing wrong with soaking a worm under a bobber, especially especially with grandpa. I mean, everything's different. I mean, yeah. that's all about the experience, far less about catching fish. Exactly. You might not realize it at the time, but looking back now, it's like, that were some of my favorite memories. Yeah, and that's kind of how hunting always was too, is it was never too serious. It was kind of, you sat in the deer stand during the, the rifle season and maybe you saw something, maybe you didn't, and not really trophy hunting or anything. So it was always sure. fun. So were you out there right away at 12 or did they have you out there beforehand? Were you out there even earlier? Um, they had me out there earlier. I mean, not hunting, but I was always tagging along and kind of being the <laughs> the extra pair of eyes out there in the deer stand. So. Sure. The one to help drag the deer out when you were younger. Yep. And, exactly. Right. Absolutely. That's Good awesome, Lord. though. I mean, that's yeah. just great. That's just great memories, like, when you think about it. I mean, so when you say you were out there with the family, grandpa, father, like, how much, like, how big was your deer camp then? Uh, it was really just my grandpa and my dad. Yeah. All right. Yeah, All right. So. Some of my other family hunts, uh, some of my cousins and uncle, but they have like another property kind of nearby. So, sure. Yeah, mainly at our property is always kind of just us three. That's that's awesome. It's still you three? Yep. Yeah, still us. Yeah, my grandpa's, gosh, what is he now? He's like 87 and he's still hunting. He's still grinding away. So, that's awesome. That's exactly what I was going to ask. Is grandpa still coming out or yeah. is he just, or is he kind of hung it up? No, he's still going out. And for some reason, his stand's the farthest one away. And, He's still, we're telling him, hey, sit in the stand that's 100 yards out the road, but he wants to go hike up this hill and walk half a mile to his his classic deer stand, so. That's awesome. Just yep. putting in the work still at 87, exactly. putting in the work. So are, yep. you on pri are you hunting private land or public land? Yeah, it's private land. It's uh, my grandpa's, or not my grandpa, my uncle's got uh, about 70 acres of private land up in Columbia County, so. Oh, nice. That's not far from me because I hunt private land up in Columbia as well, so. Okay, cool. I'm in the Rio area. I mean, I'm not super. Yeah. That's not super specific, but for Columbia County, Wisconsin, I mean, I my my in-laws own land in Rio, so very cool. Yeah, we're not far off. Then I'm up uh, a little north of Poinette, so like all right, like that's miles away. That's real close. I mean, I was right up that way this weekend on the Wisconsin River. I mean, I was out hanging out on the river all day. So nice. Yeah, can't go wrong. I mean, nice sun private land like well not private land but i mean the wisconsin you have all that public water and public beaches i mean you have all the sandbars are public so yeah it, it's so nice just to jump in the boat and uh, i think i shuttled three or four different groups of people out to the island and just hung out on the sand sand all day and you don't get all the traffic of the madison chain that sounds like, fun you know i heard uh, I was some of your other podcasts i heard you talking about that in a different one and that's something i've never done but it sounds really fun We'll have to get you out there. It's pretty much an open invite. I'll throw an invitation out to you the next time I'm heading out. And yeah, we'll get you out there, bring a friend or two with you, and we'll just shuttle you up there. And it's a real good time. It's it's super laid back. I mean, you're just hanging on the beach, just chilling. I mean, you don't and you don't get all that boat traffic that you do in Madison. Yeah, exactly. Madison's kind of crazy. It's I fished the chain pretty hard this past year. Um, that was really the first time I fished the chain too much. And yeah, it's it's a little crazy out there sometimes. Some good fishing, but a lot of people. It is good fishing. So what's your preferred fish to chase? Are you all around? Do you, do you focus on a specific species? Um, a little bit all around. Um, all right. So I lived out in South Dakota for, gosh, probably seven years. And out there is kind of really big on walleyes and, and perch. I would, I would say walleyes is probably my number one out there. And there's a lot of really good walleye fishing. So 
that's kind of my favorites. Um, I think back here, there, there's definitely walleyes in the area, but I've been trying to get a little more experience with like largemouth and stuff. That wasn't as big out in South Dakota, and that, that's something I want to get more experience in with that. So, do you ever chase smallies? Yeah, smallies at time. Uh, usually, I never really targeted them too much, but I always caught some when I was walleye fishing. So, sure. I mean, the Madison chain is fun to target small. I mean, they have great largemouth fishing, but it's got some really good smallmouth fishing for how south it is. Yeah, and it's definitely worth if you're out there and you're trying to, if you're looking for some some green fish. I mean. Madison's a fun, especially Mendota can be really good for smallies. I mean, it really can be. There's no secret. I mean, it's not a secret. I'm not worried about sharing anything too specific, but um, it can just be. A, I mean, the whole chain can be good for smallies. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've heard. It's, it's it's good for a lot of things. It seems like I mean, you can catch some nice some smallies, some largemouth, even like muskies and pike. It's it's oh, really yeah, good. yeah. And then you have the walleye out there as well. You have a good panfish pop. It's it's really really are blessed having a, a chain of that quality this close to us. And I know I give it a hard time saying oh, it's so busy and everything, and it does have a lot of traffic, but it's still an excellent fishery. Yeah, definitely. Which, I, I mean, I, I'm out there quite a bit still. I've been kind of switching focuses to more river fishing and really trying to pattern the smallmouth out there just because there's some about it this year where I really want to catch smallies in like three feet of water rather than 30 feet of water. So... And I really want to do it with my fly rod. So that's really where my focus is this year is just very specific smallmouth fishing with my fly rod on the Wisconsin River. Nice. Yeah, that's always a fun catch, especially the fly rod. Oh, absolutely. Especially those river smallies. I mean, they are just so mean. They're just so aggressive and built just because they're so used to swimming in that current all day. Yeah. Yeah, I've been trying some new spots, uh, not really in the mass and chain. I think last time we talked, I was still in some prairie. I just moved out to Lake Mills. Um, here okay. probably a little over a month ago. So I've been trying some spots around here, kind of the Rock River, uh, sure. Lake right here in town, obviously, and some other stuff near here. So that's a good area. There's also quite a bit of public land around there too for the for the hunting. Not yeah. that you're not that Columbia County super far away. Yeah, I, I do mix in public land a little bit as well. Um, it's not 50-50, but I would say maybe like 60-40 of like 60 private and 40 public. I do try to try to get around and try not to pressure it too much, just because it's not a huge piece, even though. I think last year on that private piece of hunt, I probably did overpressure it for, for deer a little bit, but sure, sure. That's kind of the only thing keeping me sane during COVID was just hunting. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I chased it pretty hard last year. Not deer, I chased birds quite a bit last year, is what I did. So, yeah, but I, but I get it. I mean, I needed that outdoor time, I needed that experience. It's like I've been cooped up in my house working from home. It's like I need to get outside. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm still feeling the effects of that in a way. It's like, because work's crazy stress, folks. We're still coming out of that COVID age, and there's huge supply chain chain industry issues across every industry, and the supply chain is just still out of whack. So, like, you have that stressful work week, and the last thing I want to do is, like, have a stressful experience on the weekends. And I think that's why I really stopped, like, tournament fishing personally this year. I didn't want to go out and, like, I loved it. I loved the comp competition. I loved that, at, but it's a lot, it's a lot more stress because I'm yeah. putting pressure on myself to perform at a certain level where now it's like, I just want to go out and relax and fish. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I know what you mean. I haven't fished too many tournaments in my day, but I can just imagine just the extra stress of yeah, feeling like you have to perform and feeling like you have to do something rather than just enjoying it. I agree. Yeah, it's it's something different when you really want to focus on tournaments because then you – I mean, it, you, if you're really going to tournament fish, you have to pre-fish. You have to do – I mean – I would be studying lake maps 
I would be going out there pre-fishing and then tournament day comes and it, it's not just the six or seven hours or eight hours on the water for tournament day. There's a bunch of prep beforehand and it's a whole different mindset. And it's great. It's fun. Like I do enjoy that, like the competition, but at the same time, it's like, I really enjoy sitting on the, on the middle of a sandbar, drinking a beer, going and doing a little fly fishing here and there from shore too. It's like completely different spectrums of fishing. And I just wanted that. I wanted that mental, that mental break from it all. Is really why I just switched gears completely this year. Definitely, you're still doing like a what a kayak is it a tournament on like Mondays or something. I saw. So Madison Kayak Club, um, Brian started that league. That's a Monday night league. I actually missed it tonight because we're doing this, but that's no big deal. We're recording on Monday because this airs next Saturday. Um, but yeah, they have started a weeknight Monday night league that is on the Madison chain and it rotates the four lakes. So Mendota, Monona, Kiganza, and Wabisa, not in that order. I don't remember the order off my top of my head. You launch from one specific boat launch. You can drive to any launch you want. You can fish. And then you have to be back to that launch by, I think it's eight 30 or nine o'clock. Okay. And then we kind of do a live weigh-in where you submit your photos. Like you bring them up to Brian and we look at them and you can verify what the size of fish is. We enter it all into a spreadsheet and then, Winner top three pay is plus big bass. So it's a cool little like easy competitive way to fish, but not, but really good for a beginner too, because you really get to experience that catch photo release, taking pictures on the measuring boards. It's a really good like taste of tournaments, but it's a really good way to just like keep your skills honed as well and really learn a chain. Yeah. Yeah. That might be something I have to look into in the, the future, maybe next year. I'm not sure about this year, but yeah, no, because it's feeling like so intimidating getting into any kind of like league or tournament if you're like more of a beginner where it's like, all right, I'm going to go in here and just get smoked and like not even, <laughs> it's not even going to be fun. So I will say, I mean, I did fish other weeknight tournaments on the Madison chain and the clubs are great. Overall, though, from my experience between kayak and boat, the kayak guys are more welcoming and more like, hey, this is how we're doing this. Like, if you came up to me after a tournament, I'm, I'm pretty open book. Like, hey, this is what was working for me. Like, yeah. if you're like, oh, where'd you go and catch these? I wouldn't tell you maybe exactly like, oh, here's my GPS, north this, west that. No, but I'd be like, I was in 20 to 25 foot of water with some structure throwing a Nico rig. Mm -hmm. Or I was in five to eight foot of water ripping a chatterbait through grass. I mean, I would be specific enough where you could go out the next day and be like, if you looked at a lake map and be like, okay, this is the water depth. Let's go over there. Oh, hey, here's some weeds. Let's see what happens. And if you catch a fish or two, you'd be like, all right, now I see what he was looking for and what he's doing. Because at the end, I, I love the competition, but I like teaching people even more. Yeah. And that's a huge thing just with any, whether it's hunting or fishing, is just like having some people that doesn't have to be your like mentors or even your like close friends with it, but having some people that are willing to, hey, give a tip here and there or, offer a helping hand. It's huge for getting people involved and having more success. I know like when I was out in South Dakota, I had a ton of really good friends who were really good fishermen or hunters who would take me along and introduce me to stuff and some things stuck and that's things I'm committed to now. And I'm a lot better at now just because of that one person. So. Right. I mean, it's amazing how much of an impact someone that takes a little time to teach someone can have, even if it's not a full on mentorship, even if it's like, Hey, you want to go out hunt with me for the day or something like that. And just to see the way they do things and pick up a tidbit of information here or learn a trick there can make all the difference. Yeah, definitely. So what took you to the Dakotas then? 
Uh, so that's where I went to college at. So, yeah, so right. I had a high school. I went out to South Dakota State University. Uh, I played football out there and uh, majored in mechanical engineering. So that's why I was out there. So very nice. I, yeah, four-year degree to my master's as well. And then was out there for a couple of years after too. Very nice. Very nice. I'm hoping you got out bird hunting when you're out there. A little bit, yeah. Unfortunately, not as not a ton, uh, not as much as I really wanted to. I think I got pheasant hunting once, maybe twice out there, which I'm disappointed in. Got out duck hunting quite a bit uh, with a couple of my good buddies, but well, that, well, that, I know, like a lot of people don't think of South Dakota when it comes to duck hunting. They think of North Dakota right away because yeah, that's the pothole capital of the world. Blah 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 blah. But from who I've talked to that go to goes to South Dakota, they actually say the duck hunting is really good. Yeah, from my experience, it was really good. Uh, I had some guys that took me out that were had been doing it their whole life and had a lot of connections with farmers in the area and a lot of different properties they could hunt on. So might have been a little skewed view, but every time I went out there, it was, it was a really good experience. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. So were you hunting a lot of farm fields then, or were you hunting um, like potholes, like water potholes in, on, on fields? Like what's, what was the setup out there for South Dakota? Like where were you, where were you hunting dogs? Uh, mostly farm fields. Okay. Yeah. Most of the time we're farm fields, but sometimes it's just kind of like in, in a slough with some waders on stuff like that. Nothing too crazy. Got it. So cut corn then? Was that was that a big big one? I'm assuming I'm assuming there's got to yep. be quite a bit of corn out there. Yeah, there's. there's um, <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's got to be. I mean, it's a plain state, right? I mean, we have enough corn here. I'm sure it's not much different crop wise there. Yeah, yeah, ton of corn out there, and yeah, it brings me back to like the first time I went duck hunting out there, and it was my first time ever duck hunting. So I didn't really do it growing up, and. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, like, just seeing, like, literally thousands of birds in the sky. Like, it's it pretty intense. It's really fun. That, that's awesome. So were you hunting, like, out of layout blinds, or are you just hunting, like, in fence rows or pit blinds? Like, what was the setup out there? Yeah, it was the layout blinds. Nice. Yeah, so it's Did you stay away? Did you stay away? Probably, like, five, six guys with us, so it was pretty good crew. Oh, nice. Nice. Cook breakfast for you? I mean, did you, do, did you guys go all in, breakfast in the field and everything, or is it – granola bars and some and some stale coffee i'm trying to remember what we did i feel like we might have like stopped at like a casey's or some 24 7 like gas station and got something i'm not sure what handful of breakfast burritos yeah been something there. like that <laughs> been there before i mean sometimes i mean i brought like a small backpacking stove and i've cooked like venison sausage or something like that on a duck hunt but I, i'm always envious of the guys that go out and they like they're out there and they've got like the nice like lines they take the boats too and they got the full stove and the griddle out there and they're cooking like egg sandwiches i'm like man i gotta start hunting with y'all because right now my cold my cold granola bars that are frozen that i'm trying to warm up inside my waiters and this cold coffee just is not cutting it yeah that's pretty crazy yeah it makes you think of not necessarily with bird hunting but with deer hunting i got a buddy who at their deer camp like one of the grandpas or something they have this deer stand it's got literally a full kitchen inside of it like i don't think really? hunts too much but it's literally like a full like stove oven so they always head back there around like 10 30 11 o'clock and have have a big brunch and he's got it all ready for him so in in the in the tree stand they've got that's a tree stand yep 
That's awesome. Full kitchen in a tree stand. That's what I'm talking about. Like you don't even need heat at that point. Like you get cold. Oh, let's make food. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, did they run power to this thing then? I don't know what their setup was. I only saw pictures. I've never been there in person, but. Got it. I'm just trying to think, like, do you run power to it? Do you need power? Not really. I mean, if you run everything off propane, you're fine. Yeah, I'm guessing it's I'm, propane. <laughs> that's awesome, though. That's awesome. I haven't heard that one yet. I've, I've heard of some pretty crazy deer blinds out there. Um, the guy who started Tacticam, um, like a, like the GoPro, it's a, it's a action camera, Tacticam. Yeah. Um, he's got i don't remember he's got some sort of name for this deer blind and it's got like cameras outside and like it, it's crazy like it's crazy we were on i think we did the og show live with him it's one of the podcasts on the network okay. the Finn network and if you look that one up and listen to it i think it's towards the end if you just want to skip around but that's crazy to hear about his deer blind because i'm pretty if i remember right it's got tvs and cameras outside so you can see outside and it's got full heat. It's it's nuts. It's just nuts. Yeah, some of those are pretty crazy. It's like it's almost turns into like not hunting, but it still is because it's pretty cool. I don't know. Like part of the hunting experience is like the suck of it, but I don't know. I'm I'm not blaming them at all. If they can chill and watch TV and and shoot some deer or whatever else, it's pretty awesome. Well, I I think it it kind of started as a joke from what I remember, and it just kept elaborate, like just kept evolving, getting like more and more outrageous and. It's kind of just lived. It's kind of just become its own little iconic, like its little own icon in their little hunting club, which is awesome. That's awesome. Whereas yeah, I'm out, I'm out there in a two-person tree stand, sometimes with my niece, most of the time by myself, and I'm just like, "Yep, it's cold. Where's my wool blanket?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the one stand we have in our property that's like a legit stand. Like, I think my grandpa built back in like I don't even know when, maybe like the '70s or '80s. I don't know how this thing's still standing, but it's maybe like four foot by five foot pretty tight like two people in there is like super tight and <laughs> not yeah, too luxurious yeah we don't have any enclosed stands on our property um mine would probably be the closest because i have a two-person ladder with a blind but I, it's by no means low. i mean it keeps the rain off your head but it doesn't keep any wind out or you can't run a heater in it or anything like that but otherwise every other stand on our property is is mainly two-person ladder ladders with nothing just you're just wide open on a ridge yeah yeah i think the two-person ladder is the way to go even if there's only one person hunting those those single person stands get pretty tight they do and then it's so hard to move around like you got to hang your backpack next to you on the tree or, or next to you on the stand where at least like with the two person you can set it right next it's if you're looking at buying a ladder stand I, and you have private property for it and weight's not an issue the two person is just the way to go yeah 100 percent I mean, there's no doubt in my mind about it. Even, and let's be honest, half them two-person stands are really one and a half persons. Exactly. <laughs> like, I'm not a huge guy by any means, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to fit two like 20-year-olds or 18-year-olds next to some of those two-person stands. I mean, they're tiny. Like, you're shoulder to shoulder, like you are in a school bus almost. Yeah, not at all. Maybe like an adult and a kid or something, but <laughs> two full adults. I'm not sure about. From a yeah. safety from a safety standpoint, I'm just like, like it's not a good situation in my mind. Exactly. Yeah, this year I made the transition and uh, to a saddle, so that was, that was an interesting transition this year. But I, I liked it. I've never hunted out of a saddle, so so sell me on it. Like what like what makes the saddle better? Like 
I think overall just the mobility of it, not like being able to, I think that's the biggest thing. And like, this was my first year, like actually hard bow hunting where I was like scouting and hunting significant days and was trying different spots. So just that mobile aspect, I think made a big difference. So you're not hauling around a real heavy tree stand. It's just already around your waist, just bringing the climbing sticks. Um, and just personally, I feel like I like just being kind of more connected to the tree where you're leaning against that, the tether and you can move around the tree. So you're positioned behind the tree. So you kind of have that as cover. And then you can kind of move left and right to make different shots there. So, yeah, I, I admit, I'm not a saddle expert, but my one year experience, I, I definitely like it. How hard is it to get a stable shot? Like, I just, I've always thought about it, like where you're leaning it, like, because you use the rope as leverage to kind of yep. give you the stability. I mean, can you get enough? I guess you have to have quite, I guess it depends on your personal balance, how, how steady you are. Yeah, like personally, I like the saddle more than just a normal tree stand to stand there because you can like, it's almost like you're bracing off something with that like tether against a tree. So you feel a little more stable that way. Like you're kind of at a weird angle, which takes some getting used to and you definitely want to shoot with it beforehand, not just try it out for the first time. But I feel right. like there's kind of standing there freehand, it gives you one kind of extra arm for, for leverage or for stability. That makes sense. I can see that. Um, yeah. So are you a compound bow guy then? Recurve? Traditional? Yep. Compound. All right. What are you shooting? Uh, so I got a Hoyt Axis. Nice. You like it? Yeah. yeah, I like it. Yeah, this is. I just got that one. Before I just had a, a bear. I think it was a species, kind of off the shelf, pretty pretty cheap one just to get me into the sport. So yeah, I've only been bow hunting for maybe probably two and a half years. It's been kind of weird hunting-wise just in the fall with playing sports. So like in college, I played football, so I didn't really have a ton of time to to hunt, especially like deer hunt in the fall. Sure. Um, for a couple of years after college, I was playing football professionally a little bit too, so I never had much time then. It's like I always loved hunting and I wanted to hunt, but just didn't have time. You had like one day off a week, and that day you didn't want to do anything. So, I can I I I don't understand it, but I understand that part of it. Like I understand throwing. I, I mean, there's got to be a lot of work to it. I mean, if you played college and do a professional level, I mean, like that was it. That's a serious deal. I mean, yeah. that. I mean, now you're playing at an extremely high level. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure you were training quite a bit throughout the week. Yeah, exactly. Like they're really like maybe on like Sunday nights you could get out if you really wanted to push it, but it's just that's your only day to recover. <laughs> right. It, right. It was so, tough. You get, so you try to get out Sunday night, and then it's late. You stick a deer. And now you're tracking and dealing with it till three in the morning. What happens Monday? Well, you better be up for a 5 a.m. workout. So, <laughs> so yeah. how was it? I mean, so then I'm assuming in high school, you probably didn't hunt as much either because I'm sure you were football focused because that's what led you to college, which led you into a professional, the professional part of the whole deal. Yeah. So what brought you back to hunting? Was it the growing up with it with your family or were you looking for another mental challenge now that you're not playing football that you could like, focus that same energy and drive into i mean i've always loved outdoors so it's it was always something that i love to do and it's not right. have as much time in the fall to do so i always knew i'd be back into it um i think picking up bow hunting was a little bit of both obviously i want to get back and and hunt and do outdoor stuff and and hunt deer for for longer not just the normal rifle season but i think this year really taking on kind of that mental challenge and physical challenge of that really helped kind of bridge the gap um, just without having sports and athletics and something to work for there. Sure. Are you kind of taking that same mental focus towards hunting now? A little bit. Yeah. Trying to at least. Sure. Like <laughs> trying, trying to balance it. There was times last year I was getting a little, a little too into it. Not, not too into it, but just, 
there's a balance of it, I think. So there, you got to do everything in moderation. I'll agree, but there's a, there's there's different levels you can take everything to, right? So I mean, are you taking like now you're hunting more public and you're trying to explore more land? So are you looking at like are you using like Onyx and looking at, at topo maps that and trying to find like different um, pinch points and ridge lines and things along those lines and then scouting it out and taking it that next step? Or are you still kind of like, I kind of see some areas I want to check out. They look good. I'll just throw my saddle up and see what I see type of deal. Like, are you, are you already starting to go out right now and start to do that prep work? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I All would right. say I haven't been on a ton yet, but definitely use Onyx as a tool a lot just with looking at public lands, looking at yeah different terrain features and kind of that topo hybrid map of, I'm trying sure. to get some pins just from the map scouting. And then, yeah, I like to pick one or two and whatever, every week or every couple of weeks, go out there and check it out. And and sometimes it's kind of exactly what I think it is. And sometimes it's completely the opposite, maybe not the opposite, but not as, as good as it looks. So, but there've been yeah. times even walking out where you find some hot sign or, or some sign from the past year that looks better and it's not really the spot you're going to, but it gives you some other leads. Yeah, I mean, it, that's the great thing about like internet scouting. Like, it, I mean, it's the tools are amazing between the satellite imagery and all the maps and now having all that landowner information. I mean, it's amazing, but you can be on your computer for an hour and be like, this looks amazing. And you get there and you're like, this is not as amazing as what I thought it would be. Yeah, definitely. And I think I need to go on my Onyx and start deleting a few waypoints. I think I go in there now and it's just like when you're zoomed out, it's just like a ton of waypoints and spots like i will never be able to get to if i went every single day so it's, i need to start narrowing things down i think <laughs> and i think that's good though because i mean that takes like you're trying all these different spots and you're learning what habitat works and then you start to narrow it down and, you, and then you get these core group of spots where you're like all right i know there's deer moving in these areas and i guess this brings me to my next question now that you're archery hunting you, you always you've said before you weren't trophy hunting you're a meat hunter are you still a meat hunter or are you going for a trophy now um i don't know i'm i'm going for some more mature deer i would say okay uh, that's kind of my goal last year because honestly like growing up like i don't know if i ever got a, a mature buck rifle hunting like it was kind of not fully of its brownness down but pretty close like sure sure shot a handful of spikes here and there and some does and the property i have permission or uh, the private piece that i hunt on it's it's not really a great rifle hunting spots um and it doesn't hold a ton of deer it's more open field it's kind of got one like tree belt with a little bit of like a ridge in it but there's a lot of deer on neighboring proper properties but kind of it seems like as soon as november hits they kind of stay out of our property so sure trophy bucks growing up so that's kind of a goal this year or i guess last season going into us trying to get a mature deer um yeah so maybe not a trophy but going after a mature buck absolutely so did you get a mature deer then last year? Like, did you succeed? Yeah, I think so. I think it was a four and a half year old deer. Um, Very nice. Might, might have been three and a half, still no harm percent, but I, I think it's probably four and a half. It's pretty nice. Uh, I've been I think a nine pointer with one broke off. So yeah, it's nice dark antlers. So. Nice. It was, it was a grind. Definitely got out hunting a lot and ended up getting it on, I think, November 14th. So kind of right, right in the rut there, but. Real nice. Was that on public or private then? That was on the, the private piece. Was it? Nice. Yep. Yeah, I have so. nothing against hunting private. I hunt private. I was just curious because I know you said you hunt both and don't, I didn't mean for any of that to come out for the connotation. Like 
Oh, you shot it on private lands. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. I, I think on these property, I own, it's a pretty big accomplishment with the one I got. We're, we're not seeing monsters all the time, so the one the one I got was pretty decent. So. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, then I ended up getting, during rifle season, I got a buck on public, which was kind of cool because that was my first, I think my first deer on public land. Um, so, yeah. Nice. Nice. I... Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Got to think back. I have not shot a buck on public. I have shot a doe on public. Um, it was when back when, I don't know if you remember when they did the earn a buck in Wisconsin. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so that was earn a buck year. And I got a doe up in northern Wisconsin. That was actually the second deer I ever took. So, I mean, I was, I was super jacked up to get a doe. I'm like, because the first year I ever hunted, I got a doe. It was on my ex-in-law's parents' property. Um, really well-managed land in Stevens Point. I think I saw like 30 deer that day and took the most mature doe I saw. Like it was, it wasn't shooting deer in a barrel, but it was shooting deer in a barrel. Like I passed on a couple of nice bucks cause it was the earn a buck thing. And I'm like, well, I'm not, I did, that was my first year hunting. I'm like, I'm not going to shoot a buck and then have to shoot a doe. Like that's not like, no, like this is a horrible idea. I'm not going to start walking in gray areas my first year out there hunting. Like this is a terrible idea. Yeah. But then for a while, I switched to hunting public land. Um, I really didn't have anybody like to teach me anymore. Um, I, I got divorced, kind of was doing it on my own. And a buddy, I want to become friends with a good buddy at work. He's a guy I actually do deer and grouse camp with now. This will be our 11th year. Um, he's like, come up north. And like him and his father took me under their wing and wound up becoming mentors because no one in my family really hunted. My grandfather did, but he passed away when I was young. And no one out there was some uncles on my father's side, but I wasn't close with any of them. So there was no family mentorship there, but they taught me a lot. So I think that was the second year I was up there. I got that dough with them. So that was really special because it kind of all worked out because I was sitting in one of his old stands overlooking this big marsh and this dough walked out. And I'm like, holy cow, this is going to happen. <laughs> and it was with a white, it was with a rifle. I wanted a banquet. Um, well, not a banquet. It, we, I was shooting sporting clay leagues at the time with Steve, the same guy who took me under his wing with his dad. And we're sitting there after a, a, a round of clays at the league shoot, and they're walking around with, I think it was five bucks for a ticket, like walking around with shotgun shells to win a rifle. I'm like, all right, sure. What's five bucks? I'm drinking beer. It didn't matter. Sure enough, they go, Brad, I'm like, holy cow, I won. <laughs> That's an awesome story. So – yeah, that was pretty cool because I bought, I shot it with a gun I won up on land, public land. I mean, it it was work, though. I mean, it, it wasn't so much work in scouting or getting the stands hung, but where we were set up, it was work. Like, it was work to get that deer out. I lost my phone. Steve, <laughs> Steve actually, as I'm dragging the deer, Steve went back and he followed our footsteps and he found my phone. That was the last year I used a black case on the phone. Now I use a bright orange case during hunting season. Nice. <laughs> just in case it falls out of my pocket. Like I don't, 
Like, I don't even trust, like, the otter box that's camo and orange. Nope, there's camo on it. I mean, I use, like, a bright orange fluorescent face because I'm not losing my phone again. He found it. So it was only temporarily misplaced. But just that it fell out of my pocket while dragging this deer up this ridge in the north woods, like, over pine, fallen pine trees and everything. And I'm like, now I lost my phone. Really? <laughs> yeah, I've never lost my phone. I lost a rangefinder once. And, yeah. You would think you'd be able to retrace your steps and find it, but in some of that thick stuff, like you won't find it ever. No, no, that one, that one's gone forever. Unless you could somehow find it in spring during thaw. I mean, that'd be your only chance going out there in spring, and then you'd have to really see how well it still works. I mean, it might work. Depends who. Depends on the quality, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely accomplishment on public land, though. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean. And then you got you said you got a buck. I'm, I kind of carried away with my own story, but you got your own. You got a buck this year on private on public. You said with a rifle. Yeah, yeah. I was really I was hunting that private piece of land, and that's kind of my my family's tradition. Is kind of like what I said growing up. Like me, and my dad, and my grandpa always hunt like opening weekend, and then a few days during the week. And we're kind of getting that last weekend. Um, and my dad had to leave town, and I think my grandpa just said he was done hunting. So. I was like, well, it's not looking too good in this private piece. I'm just going to try out this public piece I've never even been to. And kind of like we're talking about one of my waypoints on the map and going to hike sure. in there and try it out. And got in there, got in the saddle, like, I don't even know, probably six feet up in a tree, not very high, just enough to kind of give a little vantage point. And was sitting there all afternoon, hadn't seen a thing. And then probably yeah, 20, 15 minutes before shooting lights, see kind of a body of a deer appearing in the distance and keeps coming closer and get the scope on. And it's got pretty good rack on it so nice yeah yeah i think those it was either the second to last or the last day of the season i think it was the last day of the season so kind of a last ditch effort but well that's awesome though so you got it from the saddle too so did you take your buck from the did you take your archery deer with the saddle as well yeah i got them both from the saddle and both of them i probably wasn't over 10 feet off the ground <laughs> that's impressive Take, yeah, I mean, just to take the saddle up this year and then take two deer with it. I mean, how do you go back? I mean, that's got to be it, right? Yeah, I know. It, it's weird. That's why I think, like, going back to like, the saddle, I think just the mobility of it's the biggest thing. Because even, like, my archery buck, it wasn't a tree I'd ever hunted before. It was just kind of – I'd been seeing some deer moving around that area, but it was kind of this open fence line where there wasn't a ton of cover, and you're kind of wide open if you get up in a tree. So I kind of found this split tree, and – where there's a little bit of cover towards the base of it and only got up, yeah, not very far. I don't even know, five, eight feet maybe, and kind of use the second split of the tree to some cover, and yeah, I was able to get it done. So I think that's the biggest thing just that I've learned this year is being mobile. And, I mean, obviously bow hunting playing the wind, but being able to, to move around and not just, this is my tree stand, and I'm going to hunt here all year, and if something walks by, I get it. Right. I mean, that mobility plays a huge part, especially if you start looking more towards public land and even on private land, too, because now you're not as limited by what tree you want to choose. Like, you're not limited by if you're using a climber, I have to have a tree with no low branches or yeah. I have to or I use a hang on because I don't want to deal with the low branch issues. But still, you need to have the right tree even for a hang on where I mean, the saddle is going to give you far more options on what you can use for a tree. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and just being able to use climbing sticks. Like, this is my first year using climbing sticks, too. Like, I'm just, the only thing I'd had in the past is just, like, traditional ladder sand. Like, I've never tried to really climb or either, but so I have climbing sticks where you can use three or four of them or you can use one or two or kind of just variations on what you can do is, is really helpful. Or you and, that's what I, and that's why I use my ladder or my ladder with my hang-on stand. I use climbing sticks, and, and they work great. I mean, where I 
one of the swamps I hunt in, in the Northwoods on public land for gun deer, um, all I used was one stick. All I used was enough to get that seat high enough to look over the marsh grass. Yeah. For where I, well, not marsh, but swamp grass. I just, because if I went up too high, I would have been, my view had been blocked by the pine trees because it was a pine swamp. So, mm -hmm. I mean, all you needed to do was get up that just a little bit more than what you were standing to just to get that good view. And that's, and that's kind of what you're saying with the saddle because you can kind of, like you're not fixed to a certain height because you can adjust as you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it takes you just from from BLC, whatever, maybe 40, 50 yards and get up a few feet and see a couple hundred yards. So definitely helps. Absolutely. So you said you shot it with a rifle and a scope. So what are you shooting for a rifle? Uh, so I got a seven millimeter mag rifle. I think it's a, yeah, Remington. So nice. that, that was my first rifle when I was... I don't even know what age you get your hunter license anymore. Is it 14, Wisconsin? 12. 12? Okay. Well, not really. Um, Wisconsin no longer has an age. Oh, interesting. So you, you have to be 12. Oh, it gets so tricky now. Um, because you can do mentorship hunting, and there is no age for mentorship hunting. So you can hunt with a mentor, and I believe a mentor is classified. And does. Anybody listening, do not quote me on this. This is not the law. Look it up on the DNR's website. This is this is my escape right now. Like I don't know this off the top of my head. I don't have kids. I don't do the mentor hunt. But from what I understand, there is no age limit as long as they can safely shoot a rifle by not by themselves with you right next to them. So if you have a six year old and you feel like they can safely safely shoot that rifle, they can deer hunt. Hmm. But you yeah. have to be but you have to be right next to them. Like I believe at with hunter safety at 12 or 10 i'm not sure what the age is anymore you just have to be within shouting distance i think after you've taken hunter safety whereas the mentor hunt you have to be like within like an arm's reach away from them yeah interesting yeah i didn't know about that i kind of wish they had that when i was growing up i remember like counting down like the days till i could get my hunter safety and get my license <laughs> i see both sides to that like because my family didn't grow up hunting. I went through hunter safety at 22. So I did it all later in life. But as a young kid, I could see being excited, being like being like eight or nine, seven, whatever age your child's ready. And being like, okay, he's ready to hunt. And I can just see that excitement like in a, like like in the eyes of a little kid being like, oh my gosh, I just got my like the shaking and the whole excitement. Yeah. But then it, like what you what you said and Steve said the same thing he he would have missed out on all those years where all that anticipation grew until he could take hunter safety and get his hunting license he's like i don't he didn't do the mentor hunt with his son because he wants the same thing to happen with that anticipation to build because he does he doesn't want his son to lose that experience like to go into deer camp for a couple of years not being able to hunt but to learn the traditions to learn how it works and then like really get that like anticipation and that excitement to this is my year yeah, I see that now too. Yeah, the anticipation building up and yeah, just even the time spent, like most of the time when I was growing up before I my license, I was with my grandpa, so like just sitting in the sand with him and like whispering some old hunting stories or whatever else, eating his snacks. Like there's definitely some good years there before you're actually shooting a gun and, and actually hunting yourself that it's building up and kind of making a bigger deal when you actually get your license. And I, I, I'm afraid that might get missed on some people because like what you, I mean, Think of all the stories you heard and it was you, you weren't concerned at that point with you had a gun to handle or a bow or whatever 
you had to worry about taking a safe shot or an ethical shot or anything like that. You were just there for the experience. Yeah. So I don't know. I see both sides to it. I do. Um, I don't have kids. So I guess at the end of the day, I'm not super worried about it. I do a quite a bit of mentor hunting, but I normally do it. Like I've, I'll take children out. I'll take kids out. I've taken my nephews out before when they were younger, like 12, 14. Um, I've introduced other youth to bird hunting, a lot of pheasant hunting, some woodcock hunting as well. But I personally have started introducing um, more older hunters. Um, so the guys that have just graduated college who are interested in hunting, but their family didn't necessarily do it. Just because I have found over my few years of doing this now that there's a better rate of return for lack of better way to put it because a lot of times I feel like those kids are excited, but their parents are what really want them there. Whereas if you are trying to learn in your mid to late twenties after college, now you're making this choice. And I just feel like from an industry standpoint, like let's skip last year with COVID because of the huge outdoor boom, right? Yeah. Before that hunter license numbers have been down every single year by huge percentages. So if I focus on a group of people where they want to be there, they want to learn this, they want to eat clean meat and they, that they've harvested themselves, they're going to stick with it. And that's what I, I'm teaching. I'm, I'm hoping that the people I teach, not everyone's going to enjoy it. Not everyone's going to love it. And that's okay. But I'm hoping that the people I teach continue to do it. I just feel like at those 12 to 14 year old kids, I mean, we're going to lose them for at least 10 years. For sure. We're going to lose them for 10 years because they're going to hit high school. They're going to either play sports or find girls or both, right? <laughs> right, both. Then they're going to go to college. And now you still might have sports, but if you don't have sports, now you still have girls and now you have drinking at, at the towards the end. Yeah. And then you're going to have that focus of work right after. So, I mean, you're going to lose them for 10 years for sure. I mean, it's very few. You don't see many people in those years grinding it out hunting still. Mm -hmm. There's some. There's some. I feel like a lot of them just, they switch focus, which makes sense. I mean, during that time of year, I wasn't thinking about hunting either, right? So I just found those later years really are a huge part in mentorship. And that's a big thing what I do, because I want to introduce people to what drives us both to get in the woods, that excitement of as the sun comes up and that full anticipation of you have no idea what today's going to bring. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I see what you're saying just from whatever uh, a young adult trying to involve just one that they like having a background in it and they're willing to to one try hunting and then to like reach out to whatever mentorship program or reach out to ask for even just any tips or whatever it's like it takes courage just to do that so it shows the care and they want to actually do it and and try to get better at it and have it be something they do for the rest of their life so definitely get what you mean there definitely see the the connect of or the disconnect with kids with sometimes it's their parents pushing them in of yeah, I, I don't know every situation, but yeah, there's, I definitely see what you're saying. Neither do I. And I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, I'm not saying to not introduce children. That is not what I'm saying at all. Like, I feel like that's, there's a lot of programs out there that do that. They do it very, very well. It is very well needed. I feel like I also volunteer to take veterans and first responders out as a way for them to find a different way to relax and like refocus themselves like into the outdoors. Um, a lot of the veterans that I've worked with in the past, I didn't serve, but they've told me like it gives them a new mission because they're able to wake up in the morning. They're able to prep their gear. 
they have a mission at hand. Like they get all their gear prepped on, they're up early and then they're out and they're hunting. And, and it kind of brings them, like helps them refocus back to what they, like a lot of them told me they missed that. They missed that meticulous organization of the whole deal. Um, so that there's a lot of great organizations that do that as well. I take part in it. I help in those, but I feel like there's a lost piece of those later 20 to 30 year old and even adults, let's just call them adults, that if they didn't serve, they're, they're not a first responder. They didn't get it as a kid that there's not necessarily an organization out there that's like, oh, you're an adult. You want to learn how to help? Hunt? We'll help you. We'll teach you. I think like a lot of people look at them like, you should just know how to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even like just groups of like networks of hunters and stuff, I think with hunting or fishing, it's like just having a, a community or like a group of people is, is huge with that of, Hey, after I shot my big buck, like I call my buddy and let him know and he's excited or vice versa. He shoots one and then go help him drag it out. Or even with fishing, going out with a guy and, and having, whether you get skunked or you catch a personal best, like I think it's huge just being a part of community there. And, and I think just the more organizations we can have with that too, like, out in South Dakota, I had a really good community of, of guys, whether it's hunting or fishing, and like definitely realized as I moved back to, to Wisconsin, it's like didn't really have that that close community. So I kind of had to build over the past couple of years and definitely have a couple of close friends now where I can hunt with them or fish with them or, or let them know and talk to them about different stuff. But yeah, I think just anything to help, one, introduce, and two, just have that network community of hunters or fishermen is huge. I'll agree with that network part and the, like the friendships that can occur from it. Cause as you get older, I mean, those friendships create traditions and tradition's a big thing for me. I really like traditions and hunting, like as simple as like one of our deer cramp traditions is we wake up at 4:44 as a tribute to Escanaba and the mule line. I mean, that's, that's a tribute to that movie. I mean, cause that's when they got up for deer hunting up there. I mean, in the movie up in the UP, the Upers. Um, but like we have these little weird quirky tr traditions that aren't necessarily I mean my family base. It's just things that's happened for us throughout the years where it's like these have now become traditions. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. Yeah. And if yeah, you don't have that network, like you were talking about having that network. Yeah. The, the people and the traditions is almost more important than whatever the, the animal or, or the fish or whatever else that you get. I agree 100% because it's about the experience for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's about that whole experience as a whole. It's not if you shoot if you shoot a deer at the end of the day, that's that's awesome. Like that's just icing on the cake. That's not like that's like maybe too much icing on the cake. I don't know. Like because I don't need to shoot a deer at deer camp to make it like the best weekend of, of the year. Like that's not what it's about. Yeah, for sure. So what, what aspirations do you, I mean, you're getting, you're focusing on deer hunting now. Um, any interest in any other hunting or are you going to look like you're going to try to do some duck hunting in Wisconsin? Well, yeah, you are. Cause you're just gonna come out with me, but yeah, you're going to start doing some duck hunting in Wisconsin then like, is that on your list or? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I'll try that out in Wisconsin and get more involved with that. Uh, unfortunately I didn't do any last year, but Hoping to do some this year. Um, I've been on turkey hunt a few times too, so that's kind of the same thing with a little bit mixture of private and public there. Didn't have a ton of luck this spring doing it. Saw some birds, but didn't really have too much time to, to do it. Only had like three or four days to try to get after it. So had some, but not quite in the range. Sure. Um, were you trying with the bow or were you trying with a shotgun? Just shotgun for, for turkey, yeah. I agree. Simple, easy. 
You gonna exactly. grab a fall? You gonna grab a fall tag? You gonna try to? You gonna try to take one in fall? Probably, yeah. But I might. Have, I'm just getting one in if I see one when I'm when I'm bow hunting with the bow. Just bow hunt it that way. But <laughs> that, that, that's that's what I, I get. A, I get a fall tag as well. And if one walks within range when I'm out bow hunting, it's like all right, turkey dinner. Yeah. Like I don't actually big. go. I don't actually go out and hunt for them. I'll be honest. It's just it is a bird of opportunity for me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I actually didn't get a fall tag last year, and I'm sitting there bow hunting, and you, I see turkeys here and there that I could have shot, and I wasn't too concerned about it. But I had a, a white turkey walk by me within shooting range. I'm not sure if it's an albino or if it's uh, like a white like farm turkey that escaped and joined this pack of wild turkeys or what. But I don't know. I, I looked up the regulations kind of while I was looking at it. It sounded like it was legal to shoot one, so I was kind of bummed. Interesting. A, I've never seen a white turkey in the wild. B, I would have had no idea if it was legal to shoot one or not. I know. I was scrambling when I was walking in, like looking up articles, and there was no real, like, clear definition. But from most of the articles, it was like a couple years ago, someone shot one and was getting praised for it. So I'm like, I'm guessing it's probably legal. And then I called after the the ward, and they said it was fine. But well, if you ever see it, well, the odds of seeing it again are probably pretty rare. But if you ever in that situation again, now you know. Yeah, I know now. Yeah, my, my grandpa saw it a couple of times turkey in the spring, so it's, it's out there. Oh, it's still there. You have a chance come fall. Yeah, yeah, I didn't well, see gonna, it at all. He saw it. <laughs> well, you're going to have to get a tag now this fall. Like, you're going to have to have one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or or don't, and then you're going to see it. I mean, at that point, you better bring it. You're, if you don't get a tag, you have to bring a good camera with because you're, you're going to see the bird then for sure. Yeah, I'll have to send you a picture. I think I got a picture on my phone. I think one was a little bit farther away, but I, I could send it to you. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I've never seen a white turkey in the wild. I have no idea, like even how rare it is. Like I've no, like no idea at all. Yeah, I've never seen one or really heard of one, so I'm guessing it's fairly rare. But again, it, it might be like a farm turkey, but there's not any turkey farms in the area, so I'm not sure how it got there. Sure, no idea. That's awesome though. Like it, yeah. it gives you something to like. Yeah, you're out there deer hunting. You're always looking forward to like hoping a big deer comes out. But if you have something else like that too, where it's like, I wonder if I'll see the white turkey today. Just makes it even. It just makes it like even a little bit more of an experience. Like there was a stand that I used that uh, we used to hunt up by Stevens Point, and there'd be grouse in there occasionally. And like a grouse used to go by my ex-father-in-law like every time he'd sit in that stand. Like it's just sit there and hang out. I'm like, so I'd always go in there and be like, Am I gonna have a grouse friend today? Like, am I gonna get a grouse buddy today? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. Just having that little like unknown or that. That might happen is just in the back of your mind gives you more motivation to get out there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what are your plans? So you're going to try to do a little waterfall hunting. Um, definitely going to go back with the bow, I'm sure. You're going to probably explore the public land around you. Yeah. Um, fishing? Got any, big, got any big plans for fishing? Any big trips this year? No major trips or anything. Uh, just trying to get out around here as much as I can and, and kind of explore some new spots and go to some old spots and just kind of do as much as I can. So, yeah, I was hoping I could get back to, to South Dakota, get some pretty good spots out there for, for some walleye, but I don't think it's going to work this year, but maybe next year. Sure. We should get you out. We should get you out in, in my spare kayak. We'll get you out one of the new canoes and we'll get you out there and let you try a kayak tournament once. I got all the gear. I can get you set up and let yeah. you just come out and fish. That'd be awesome, honestly. I've, I've been thinking about kayak fishing, and I, I was thinking about pulling the trigger. I, I didn't end up doing it just because we were, we we're moving. I was a little over the, the hunting and fishing budget for for the time being. But sure, yeah, I was actually talking with with New Canoe uh, Blake over there at New Canoe for a little bit, and it sounds like there's a ton of awesome products over there. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
I'm on the New Canoe Pro, uh, Pro staff. I'm a huge fan of New Canoe. I run the Flint now. I had a pursuit. I have an unlimited on order. For an all-around sportsman, I've been through a lot of different kayaks. A lot. Too many. Um, <laughs> trying to find that one kayak that literally could keep up with me. Because I'm not just a kayak fisherman. And I'm not just a bass fisherman. There's some great bass tournament kayak angling kayaks out there. The New Canoe Limited is great. The Pursuit's great as well. But, I mean, there's tons of different models out there, like with other brands, too, that are good. Um, but I'm not just a bass fisherman. I'll troll for walleye. Mm -hmm. Or I'll troll for panfish. But then come fall, I'm not a fisherman at all. I'm a bird hunter. So to have a kayak that was able to transition from, like, spring fishing on Lake Michigan for brown trout in the harbor to bass fishing tournaments and then to throw a mud motor on it to go duck hunt i finally stumbled into new canoe a couple of years ago and it's like man this is what i've been missing like for a sportsman i don't know how you get a better platform yeah yeah that's pretty much everything i was reading about it and all the reviews and stuff it's just like so versatile where you can yeah fish out of it pretty much anywhere yeah you can take it duck hunting even like i've seen some youtube videos with guys just bow hunting with it like taking a creek into a public land spot and then shooting a big buck and putting it on the front of it and paddling back out or having their, their motor in the back, bringing it back out. So pretty much everything you do. But yeah, I think I want to say it was a couple months when I was looking at them. I think I was looking at the Flint was the main one I was going to pull the trigger on, but maybe next well, year. Well, we'll have to get you in my Flint this year because I have a Flint in my garage right now. You can test paddle it and all that. We'll get you out in the Flint and the Unlimited once I get it and you can try both. We'll get awesome. you out on it. We'll get you out. We'll let you try a tournament on that Madison Kayak Club. I mean, you'll enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, that'd be sweet. It'd be nice to be able to test ride on for a pull trigger. <laughs> well, exactly. We'll put you in a couple of them. You can see the difference in the paddling and stability and everything. And they're great kayaks all the way around. Um, I'm not even concerned that you won't like them both. Um, but you might like one a little more than the other. But either way, like, I think you'll enjoy the whole kayak experience. Like, just the paddling's good. But we'll get you out and we'll get you out tournament. Fit. We'll let you see what a tournament's like too right away. Like, really be like, get you out bass fishing. Yeah, yeah, that'd be sweet. Not guaranteeing any success, but it'll be fun to experience it. <laughs> well, I won't just set you all to the wolves. I'll make sure you have a general idea of what's going on on the lake at that day and be like, here, here's what you should go try, and here you go. But I'm not – that's about as far as I'll go. <laughs> uh, just me out there. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll walk, I, I'll walk you through it. I'm not that way. Like I said, like mentorship to me is just as important as actually fishing the tournaments. Like – I had a co-angler last year on the boat side who was with me quite a few times and I still talk to him quite a bit. And he's very thankful for what I showed him and like seeing him catch fish with techniques that I taught him that he never thought of using. Even if I'm not catching it, like, that's just like, dude, that's awesome. Like I had a, I had a role in like your success now. Like, and to me, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. That's sweet. And they can just keep building off that. And yeah, it's, it's a skill that's definitely worth it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm, I, now I'm sure he's a better angler than I am, and I'm okay with that. Like, I'm 100% okay with that. I'm good with it because yeah. I know, like, I helped build some of those foundations that he took to another level, and I'm good with it. Like, 100%. Like, it doesn't even bother me. Like, I'm like, that's awesome. Like, run, go, be better than me. Like, I don't plan on ever being like the next Kevin Van Dam. I, don't, I can't focus that much time and energy into it. But if I can help someone get some foundation and then they can make it to another level, oh, that's awesome. Like now I feel like I somehow succeeded too. Yeah. yeah that's gotta be an awesome feeling to seeing someone succeed and even like take it past what your level might be. And it's just without you might not have gotten there or might've even like, who knows, quit fishing or something else. So. Right. I mean, so that, that's cool. That's what really kind of drives me on that mentorship part. But yeah, 
I think you'll enjoy kayaks. I really do. I mean, I haven't found anybody who really doesn't, to be honest. I mean, it's just a great experience. But we'll, we'll let you try the mud motor version, too. We'll get you out on the Unlimited once I get that bad boy with the three-horsepower mud motor. And then you can really see what it's like on a marsh. like, Or, like, we'll take people come out by you and we'll go up the Rock River. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, I bet the thing flies around with a mud motor. <laughs> Fly probably isn't the right word. It should do. The, my pursuit did about six miles an hour, which really sounds slow. But then if you go out with a group of guys like duck hunting, and you're in your kayaks, and I got the mud motor, and I'm just going through the marshes, and I look behind me and I see the guys paddling, and they're like a hundred yards from shore, and I'm like three quarters of a mile away from them already. I'm like, okay, it feels slow, but it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> Not when you compare it to that, but. But yeah, we can get you out in the kayaks. We can get you out come fall because I'll have both my kayaks by then. And we can get you out duck hunting, do some kayak duck hunting. Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, because that's like one of those things like like we've been talking about. It's where it's I've, I've been out duck hunting before and with some buddies, but like I've never really went out like on my own and done it or really like ventured and, and learned a ton about it. So I'd love to learn more about it and, and try to get more involved there. Yeah, absolutely. I will not, you will not see thousands of ducks today like you did in Dakota. Just, yeah, it's just, I know that's pretty pretty crazy. You're gonna want to really really lower your expectations to like. There's been days where I've been happy to see like a hundred ducks. <laughs> there's been days where I haven't even seen a duck. So let's be honest here. Kind of like deer hunting sometimes, where it's like, or or when it gets really really bad. I scouted an area last year, hundreds just piles of ducks, and we worked really hard to get into this very back corner. And I swear, every single duck we saw, like, avoided this marsh like the plague. I mean, it was hunted pretty hard. It was it, had, it was a high-pressure area. And we're just watching all these birds. And we worked hard to get to a spot where I was positive no one else had been. I was positive. There wasn't even a hull case. Like, there was no shell case. There was nothing out there. Like, I know no one worked that hard to get in there. Like, it was hard. Mm -hmm. And the birds just avoided the whole entire area. Of we course. just sat there for hours, like, this sucks like yeah. there's just birds you can just see them like they'd get to the marsh and they would shoot straight up to like 150 yards and go over and then come back down on the main lake i'm like oh really yeah that's gotta be tough especially when we work that hard just to find the spot and get into it but how is the, the overall hunting pressure in wisconsin for ducks is it pretty high it's high yeah no i don't I'm not, i can't compare it to anywhere else because i haven't hunted ducks outside of wisconsin but I would say all of the major marshes, most of the areas, it gets a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. I mean, Horicon Marsh gets pounded. Uh, I don't even go there. I know plenty of people that hunt it. It's good hunting, but it gets pounded. I don't like hunting around other people um, just because when I go to hunt, I would rather go and work my way into a little spot and shoot one or two ducks by myself than shoot a limit with people like on 300 yards on each side of me and I'm hearing horrible calling and shotgun blasts and sky butt like that just stresses me out where i don't want to be there because i'm like well you're shooting at butt birds 100 yards away could you be a little ethical or like really man you sound like you're a kazoo <laughs> yeah i'm sure that's tough yeah that's a, that's a big thing too with like public land not to jump back and like deer hunt too much just like i'm still trying to get used to the public land and just like i don't know I, i'm not a huge fan i know there's a ton of land out there and it's like you know i pull in the parking lot there's one truck in there like, I don't want to mess someone else's hunt up. Like, I don't want people, like, messing my hunt up. And just, like, I'm still trying to get over that. Just, I don't know, having 
multiple people in a small area hunting. And I totally, I get it. And it's definitely what public land's about, but just like the mental image in my mind of like ruining someone's hunt. I just hate. I, I, I hear you. Cause when I've hunted public in the past, I mean, if there was one truck in the parking lot of where I was going, cause most of the areas I were hunting wasn't these huge giant properties. I would go to a, I'd go to spot B or spot C like yeah. for the same reasons. I don't want to ruin his hunt. I don't know where he's hunting. Him and I could wind up setting up a hundred yards away from each other, like, and not even knowing it, depending on the terrain. And then depending on the wind, we could just basically be ruining each other's hunts and not even know about it. Like, I don't want to deal with that. Like, I don't want to do that for him. And I'm out now I am out there to enjoy myself and I'm about the experience, but at the same time, I'm not out there to waste time. Yeah. For sure. I'm, like I'm out there to shoot a deer. Like that is the point of being out there along with re the relaxation, but I would go do something else if I wasn't going out there to deer hunt. So if I'm going out there to deer hunt, I want to do it successfully at the end of the day. Right. Uh huh. Definitely. But well, I, I go ahead. Other than uh, ducks and, and deer, what else do you like to hunt? For me, yeah. I'm a huge upland hunter. Ducks and deer always they'll take a backseat to grouse and woodcock. Okay. Just okay. nobody knows what woodcock are to begin with and grouses. But I I like to me, my favorite part about hunting is watching my dog work. Okay. I love watching my dog work. Um and she's a good upland dog. She's 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 a good waterfowl dog too, but she strives well in the uplands. I love hunting wild birds. So I don't hunt a lot of pheasant in Wisconsin because it's put and take. The DNR raises them, they put them out. I can, if I'm going to go hunt put and take birds, I'm going to buy them myself and guarantee them. That's just me. That's that's how I am. So uh, I hunt a lot of grouse in the northern Wisconsin area, and then I hunt a lot of woodcock down throughout the entire state. And if you don't know what woodcock is, it's a tiny little timber, a tiny little migratory bird that migrates all the way from Canada to, to Louisiana, like a duck, okay. and it's not very big, and they have a long beak. The beak is either the width of a dollar, either just short of a dollar bill or just longer than the width of a dollar bill. That's how you actually sex them, really? the length of their beaks. And they like lowland areas that are moist. Like they don't want standing water. They don't want dry ground. They need moist soil that their bills, their beaks can get into to peck grubs, worms, bugs, that's their diet. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. So I hunt a lot of river bottoms and river edges with different types of cover, like Aspen's good, different, like find buckthorn, you'll buy, find wood, woodcock because I swear like they just hate dogs. <laughs> like they just pick terrain that's brutal on dogs sometimes, but they're a great bird to hunt because they hold really well for a pointing dog. I mean, they're not spooky. You can pretty much step on them before they'll fly away. Hmm. Interesting. Are those like right around here? You got to drive yeah. in Wisconsin for them? Really? I've, hunt, I've hunted them where you just moved to. I've hunted them in public land around the Lake Mills area. I've hunted them down by Milwaukee public lands. All over the state, if you can, if you know what you're looking for for habitat, you can find them. Interesting. Yeah, I've looked into that. Yeah, I don't really know anyone else that hunts them, so that's, that's pretty cool. You can hunt them without a dog, but it's very, very difficult. 
for the fact they do hold so tight and you basically can step on them before they'll fly away. Like if you're going to hunt them without a dog, my, my best suggestion would be to like pick an area that's got good habitat. I would walk 15 to 20 yards and I would stop for 30 seconds. And then I'd walk 15 yards, 10 minutes, 15 is too much every 10 yards. I would walk 10 yards and I'd stop for 30 seconds. Cause when you stop and pause, that pressure will make them fly. If you just really? keep walking, they're going to stay put. Like they'll still put, but when you stop, that pressure changes and that's when they'll fly. So oh. I would walk like 10 yards, stop for 30 seconds to walk 10 yards, stop for 30 seconds. And I would push through an entire area like that. Cause if you don't make that hesitation, that pause, you're just going to walk right by them because they hold that tight and they, and they are small. Um, they're smaller than a dog, quite a bit smaller than a dog. And they hold that tight and they're camouflaged very, very well for where they hide. <laughs> it sounds tough, tough on. It's, it's not with a dog. I mean, it's still tough with a dog because they're easier than grouse for shooting opportunities. They don't fly as fast. They fly slightly different and they hold tighter. So they just provide better opportunities, but it's still, it's, it's still hunting in the woods. I mean, I can't count how many pine trees have saved the lives of grouse and woodcock. Like I swear they just jump right in the way. It's like, they know. <laughs> what kind of dog do you have then? I have a wired hair Griffon. Okay. So I have a bearded dog. Um, she's great. I rescued her. At, I rescued her at six years old. So yeah, she's, she's come a long ways. Um, I wish I would have got her as a puppy because she had some serious talent that just did not get trained. Like she, she missed her vital years. Did she have any hunting experience at all before? Very little. Um, she worked, they worked a little bit with the NAVDA chapter. They didn't even finish to um, any of the testing levels at all. Even, I can't remember what the first level of testing is. Is it the UT? Oh, I don't remember. Um, anyways, they did, someone will correct me on that one. But um, they did, she, he did a little training. They had a little, she had bird exposure up until she was about one. And then his careers changed, his job changed. And he, she never got out hunting again until I got her till six. Okay. So she missed a lot of those wild bird exposures, especially for grouse hunting. Like it takes a while for a grouse dog to become good on grouse because yeah. they're a very, very different type of bird to hunt. Um, when they get pressured, they will spook and fly from 30 to 50 yards away. Hmm. So if you get start hunting high pressured grouse areas, a good dog will start holding point quite a ways away. Otherwise, they'll be bumping the birds if they try to put too much pressure on them. Whereas Woodcock, the dog can get within inches. Their face can, I've got pictures of my dog's face, like within two feet of a Woodcock. You can't get within a grouse, 15, 10, 15 yards within a grouse sometimes. Oh, that's crazy. Cause they're just that spooky and they yeah. fly super fast and low to the ground, but I love them. Like grouse is just a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one more reason I want to get more into just bird hunting is just, I don't have a dog right now, but definitely going to have one someday. I'm not sure how soon. I want to get one soon, but not sure if it's the right choice to get one right away. Might wait a year or two, but yeah, definitely yeah. something I want to do in the future with, with a dog, whether it's, I'm not sure what kind we'll get. Kind of been thinking about like a lab or I had a German short haired pointer growing up. They're good hunting dogs and everything, but. Well, GSP is a great dog. Um, yeah. Really? The dog's a whole nother episode we could talk about, to be honest. Like, I, I don't even want to go down this rabbit hole right now. Um, we'll talk on the side about that. Because I had a lab. I've, got, I've been around 
flushing dogs. I've been around pointing dogs. It really comes down to what you want to personally do and how you want your dog to be with you. Yeah. Like, I feel like there is no right breed for hunt for any type of hunting. There's a right breed for the, for the person mm-hmm. is what I really, truly believe. Okay. Um, like, I don't believe the Griff is the right dog for every person. I don't. I don't believe a lab is the right dog for every person. I, a lab is a perfect dog for some people, though. Yeah. My Griff is great for me. I mean, she's she, for how I hunt and what I focus on, I wanted a really versatile dog because I, my true passion is grouse and woodcocks. I wanted a pointing dog, but I wanted a dog that won't hesitate to retrieve either. It's got a thick enough coat that can handle those colder water retrieves. So that's why I went with a wired hair. Like, she's great for that. Now, if I was still a hardcore waterfowl hunter, I'd still have a lab mm-hmm. because they just have a higher retrieve drive. And, and and there's nothing against a griff. I mean, she's got a great retrieve drive, and, and that's even for her not having that hunting experience. But there's a reason, like, most guides for waterfowl use a lab because that's what they're bred for. And do guides use a griff? Absolutely. And I'm not taking that away from them, but... A lab is probably a better waterfowl dog at the end of the day. Like statistically overall, like, yes, you have exceptions in all of them, but statistically overall, there's a reason, there's a reason the lab is so focused on the waterfowl hunting. There's a reason for it. It's because they're good at it, right? Yeah. So if you're a huge waterfowl hunter and you're a very inexperienced dog trainer, my first recommendation is going to be a lab because they're super forgiving. They're most of them are easily trainable. They're not super hard headed. If you get frustrated, like I said, they're super forgiving. They're going to love you five minutes later. They're a great entry-level dog. Whereas a Griff is a completely different – my Griff's a different challenge. And the best way I heard was put by a very well-known, respected trainer in in, in the Griff world that said you need a heavy hand in a white glove. Hmm. That's how we put it. And it makes sense because they're very smart to the point they're almost stubborn, yet they're soft. So you can't (laughs) pressure them interesting so it's got you have to be firm and consistent is really what it comes down to like you have to have that really firm consistency but you can't pressure them too much or they'll shut down on you oh so i wouldn't unless if you have i i I always tell everybody to get help especially if they've never trained before if you're looking at a retrieving dog like a lab or any like a chesapeake bay or like an american water spaniel any of those type of like join your hunter retrieving club find your local hrc if you're not going to pay for a trainer join them and lean on all their experience they helped me train my lab i made some amazing connections from that that i still have to this day and without them my lab never would have been what it was huh yeah i didn't know there was like groups like that or anything so for your point so for your pointing dogs your versatile dogs that's nabbed north american versatile hunting dog association same thing groups of people that have experience from dogs that are insanely and they all kind of they train they train to compete but they all train to compete as a way to like train in the off season for hunting because they most of them hunt too yeah well almost all of them hunt some of them just do it for the training um but you'll have different levels of people there from people starting out just like you to people that have these master level hunting dogs that train all over the country compete all over the country and everything in between. So when you get find a stumbling block, like, man, my dog, I'm really struggling, let's say, with a simple heel command, like mm-hmm. part of basic training, but I'm really struggling with how to train this dog with heel. Someone there will have seen this exact issue before and help walk you through it so you're successful. Like they want to make you succeed. Dang. That's awesome. 
Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like, I've, I've never, like, my parents have had dogs that are, like, lab, which is a hunting dog, but never really hunted with it too much, like, maybe once a year or something, more of a companion. But I've been around some, like, some of my buddies, like, real top-notch hunting dogs. It's, it's insane just, like, how good they are and how smart they are. And that's what drives me to bird hunting. It really does. Like, I enjoy deer hunting. I finally mellowed out enough at this age of my life where I can enjoy just sitting in the woods. But really, at the end of the day, I'd much rather be out there with my dog. Yeah. I'd much rather be watching my dog chase birds or sitting in the blind with me waiting on ducks. I mean, I'm in it for the dog. I mean, especially because that bond. Like, If you decide to get a dog eventually, if you find that that's, that's the right choice for you, and you decide to train it yourself, and even if you don't train it yourself, like even if you take it somewhere to be trained, they'll walk through like all the training with you, and then you'll do like some refreshers and keep building on some of that training like just to make sure like it doesn't fall off. Like the bond you'll have with that dog, you'll start to see that you, you very well might look at it from my point of view and be like, you know, deer hunting's great, but man, I miss my dog. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I'm definitely a dog person and get pretty attached. So <laughs> yeah, we'll see when I actually get one or not. I could, I could see tomorrow. I could see in two years. We'll see. <laughs> right. Right. You got to be ready. I mean, you got to, I mean, there's a huge time commitment, especially if you're going to train it yourself. There's a huge time commitment because it's, when they're younger and you're doing basic obedience, it's the best way to do is to 15 to 30 minute sessions morning and night. Yeah. But I mean, it's the consistent every single night of that, which that's not hard. But when you start to get to like more elaborate training scenarios, now you might be training for 45 minutes or an hour every night. Yeah. Like there might, one night might be a basic obedience refresher for 15 or 20 or 30 minutes, depending on what you're working on. But the next night you might be working on double and triple blind retrieves where you're out there. 20 minutes beforehand setting up all these different bumpers in different spots so you can teach your dog to cast to it mm -hmm. so now you're working your dog for 30 minutes but it took you 30 minutes of prep in the field before you could even do it yeah that's crazy that's all that's an addition to the normal just dog responsibilities yep <laughs> everything else exactly so but yeah um if you haven't hunted behind a dog for woodcock that's what that's we talk i'll get you we'll get all kayak hunting for ducks one morning and i'll bring the dog with and We'll go out afterwards and we'll do some woodcock hunting because we'll already have the shotguns and all that stuff anyway. So we'll go out and see if we can't find some woodcock and I can kind of give you a good taste of like, this is what drives me to do this craziness that I do. Yeah, that would be awesome. Well, anybody you want to thank? Anybody you want to shout out on the podcast here before we wrap this thing up? Um, I don't know. I just say maybe just uh, my grandpa, and my dad, just for getting me involved with being in the outdoors and hunting and fishing and everything. That's about it. Absolutely. How can people find you if they want to? Are you on Instagram? Are you on Twitter? What do you, what do you got going on here? Yeah, so it's on Instagram at uh, the Modern Outdoorsman. Um, that's kind of my outdoors Instagram hobby account. So you can find me on there. Perfect. Um, anything else? I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I, just, I really appreciate you being on. Um, it was a fun episode. Got to learn a lot about you and talk a little bit of Wisconsin here. And we'll get you out hunting for sure, man. It'll, it'll be good. We'll, we'll continue to control, grow that network that, that you have and I have, and we'll just continue to make it better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And until next time. 
Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle in Finn. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle in Finn. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle in Finn on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler Button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in Northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network. Brought to you in part by HuntStand. The number one hunting and land management app.